Welcome to Sipping Socrates, where we have a warm Socratic discussion over a cup of coffee. We are Banan and Parv. Today is February the 26th, and we will be talking about decisions. Before we start today's episode, we have a couple of announcements to make. We finally have an Instagram account, so follow us there at Sipping Socrates. Yeah, and uh, we're gonna be posting. Uh, as much extra content related to our episodes as possible, including book recommendations and interesting articles that we came across during our research. We are also now going to do it bi-weekly on Mondays. So we realize that being a full-time student and having a podcast kind of makes it difficult for us to produce high-quality content sometimes. And so we thought it would be a better idea to do it bi-weekly with our be- adjusting to our busy schedules. So please follow for, follow us on our Instagram page. And listen to the podcast bi-weekly on Mondays like we always do. With that being said, let's get today's episode started. Imagine you just finished dinner and you want to get some dessert. You feel like having some ice cream. So you go around the corner to the shiny new ice cream store. Turns out they have 15 new cones, cone flavors. They have 50 different flavors of ice cream and 25 different types of toppings that can go over their ice cream. Doing the math, that is equivalent of 18,750 different combinations of ice creams that you can have that particular night. That's quite a bit to choose from, isn't it? Well, that is what we'll be talking about, decisions. So I read a book from Benny Schwartz named The Paradox of Choice. In this book, he talks about two different kind of people. One, maximizers. The other, satisfiers. The maximizers always want to have the highest quality of the decision. They always want the best. They always want to maximize their, maximize their experience with everything. However, the satisfiers are looking for something that's just enough. That's just enough for a good dessert. So he mentions that the maximizers will always turn up being indecisive and will always be more feel more pain because of the regret and the opportunity cost that goes into edu- into making different ice creams however a satisfier will go in choose the basic cone have their favorite chocolate ice cream with some vanilla crunchies on top and call it a day because it's good enough in the book he mentions that satisfiers are generally more happy where maximizers are lost while making decisions I think that is so fascinating to explore, not only because you try to box yourself as a maximizer or a satisfier, but also because most of our decisions are based on whether we can, like you said, maximize what we can gain from it or in turn just be satisfied. But here's a question that I'd like to ask you, Parv, when you brought this up. Do you think you're a maximizer or do you think you're a satisfier? I am glad to say that I'm a satisfier. While making decisions, I like them to be very quick. If, let's say if it's about shopping. I don't want to spend a lot of time thinking if I want to buy it or don't want to buy it. I just do it. I, I, I like making decisions quickly and I like to, um, like to present myself as a decisive person. Right, so you, you're telling me you're not one of those people who before buying an important piece of technology that you would go all spasming out on technology and the specifications that that gadget may have? 
I will because uh, when you so there's different kind of products, right? Something like a piece of clothing is a quicker decision to make than buying a laptop because you're going to be stuck with it for years. However, clothing you're going to wear it like 25 30 times if you really if you decently like it, maybe 100 times if you really like it and 5 times if you don't like it at all. That's interesting because I know so many people who are so indecisive with their clothing as well, right? I mean, I'm sure you do know as well. So the point is, are we trying to make decisions based on the product or are we trying to make decisions based on what we want from the product? Because those two, there's a, there's a significant distinction between them, right? Like, for example, I care enough about the product to make sure I maximize the most out of it. But then again, after I make the decision, let's say in like another week or so, I just want to be satisfied with it. I'm not going to be using everything that the product tells me to. So perhaps there's this sense of, uh, I don't know, I, I want to call it a fallacy, right? Like where just before buying a product that you want it to maximize the effect that it has on you. But after you buy it, do you turn instantly turn into a satisfier? where you're just happy with the product that you have. I think that happens more so with luxurious and luxury goods. A lot of the times people want things be not because they need it, but because they want it. And there's a huge difference between needing something and wanting something. So when you get something just because you want it, the joy is very instantaneous and it fades out in the long run. However, when you, when you get something you really need, and you use it every day, then it sustains the happiness of making the purchase. I think that's an interesting perspective to think about as well. But again, let's let's track down a bit and let's start thinking about wh why is it so hard to make decisions? I mean, it's not hard for you to get up and just reach out to your toothpaste and your toothbrush and start brushing your teeth, right? That is still a decision, but it's habitual. Now it is something that we always just do. But there are certain decisions that we think are going to be life altering for us, right? Like, for example, what career path you're going to choose, uh, whether you want to invest in a stock for long term. These are decisions that we make on a very day to day basis. But again, why is it so hard to make them? What are some of the issues we face when you make decisions? I mean, obviously, uh, one thing that I'd like to bring up is we all think that there is something called a good decision and a bad decision, right? Given the data of the circumstance that you have, you can either make a decision that is wise or that is unwise. But let's say that you are faced between two really, really different sort of choices and you have to make a decision between both. Now, often what people do is they take time to make those decisions and they take time in an attempt to make sure that they have as much data available before they make that decision. But I'd like to argue, uh, according to personal circumstances and testimonies of my life, that rarely has that ever done any good. And the reason I say that is because there are only things such as good outcomes and bad outcomes. But what people think is when you have a bad outcome, you made a bad decision. I don't necessarily think that way. Most people say, oh, I should not have bet on this team to win this much. Right? I should not have bet on this team. But 
we don't understand or we don't so- seem to sort of accept the fact that as much as data can reveal about the decisions that we make, that eventually we are going to confuse our decisions as good or bad based solely on the outcome. Yes, a lot of the times we correlate one-on-one the decision we take and the outcome we get. If we ba- make a get a bad outcome, it does not mean, I absolutely agree, it does not mean that we made a bad decision because we live in a very, in a world which with high entropy. It's not a controlled environment. This is not a scientific study area. So necessarily a bad decision does not lead to a bad outcome. I would argue that more often than so, good decisions executed badly lead to bad outcomes. Oh, I really like that because now you have sort of turned the conversation towards how you can execute on your decisions, which I think, and I would agree with you, also have a significant impact on the decisions, but also the outcome itself. Yes. Another thing that I would like to bring up is the starting question of this segment of the podcast is why is it so difficult to make good decisions? So my question to you and the audience is, is it difficult to make good decisions or is it easier to make bad decisions? Oh, I think with the amount of data that we have and the environment that we live in, we are exposed to a sort of like, just imagine you're in a concert, like a rock concert, and there's just so much going on at the same time. It's almost chaotic. So sometimes our brain sort of uses the easier way out to simplify or use reductionist arguments to sort of rationalize our, the information that we're exposed to. In other words, we're exposed to so much every single day that we fall prey to making a bad decision. Yeah, and this brings in the part where you said heuristics and simplifying. Bad decisions are such easy to make because of the comfort that surrounds them. Would I rather study or would I take a nap? Now, I think more often than not, studying is the better decision to make here. But the worst decision is just easier to make. Should I invest in a company or should I buy that brand new Nike Jordan 1's low 1975? Now, a lot of people will think at the same time, the good decision is to invest the money or save it for for bad times. But the the comfort that lies around the bad decisions make it easier for us to fall in prey to them. So Manan, at this point, I would like you to talk about some uh, heuristics and some biases that we constantly fall prey to as, uh, as it is part of our human tendencies. Yeah, and this is exactly what I wanted the meat of the podcast to be. Um, I, I'm glad you brought this up because there are some barriers that you have established that sort of make us or like sort of stop us from making decent decisions, right? One of the false assumptions that we hold is that we don't have time to think, right? So uh, according to evolutionary biology, I was reading this up and our ancestors were primarily involved in things like hunting, surviving and fending off for themselves. And so the, um, the idea here is that we have often lived in, times where we uh, are just continuously basing our survival, like just looking out for our survival. So 
we did not know at any given time where a predator would just come and hunt us or whether there was some 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 sort of danger right so with the amount of information that we have in today's world just thrown at us the idea is that we don't think we have the time to make that decision but on the other hand like we said before no amount of time will actually guarantee you to making a better decision another sort of terminology that i came across when i was just reading up was this thing called anchoring so anchoring is a decision bias that stems uh, from how short term the human memory is and we talked about time being a crucial factor well even though you have enough time our brain has this thing called a working memory which stores information in the short term so there was this researcher um who had a master's degree in behavioral economics and worked as a principal consultant for UK behavioral economics and he says um that if they were to ask someone for the last two digits of the social security number and then ask them to guess the number of african countries in the un their guesses would predictably be higher if the last two social security digits were closer to 99 than to 1 and what this tells us is because of our shorter memory and because of our working memory that we often fall prey or victim to using that illogical fallacy of using our short term memory to predict uh events in the future and that obviously impairs our decision making so you're saying that according to the study the higher the social security number the higher they guessed well where they have zero correlation or covariance between themselves that's exactly what i'm saying that's 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 interesting human wide mind works in bright ways but another thing that you said was time uh, in decision making that we constantly think that we need to make decisions quick because a lot of the times that is how society works as employees we're not i mean we do have a early wage but we're more often paid to do things right we're not paid to do better things we're paid to do things so long as i can show my manager that i'm constantly on the run i'm so busy they're going to think i'm doing great job they're going to think i'm a great employee that is why people take less time to think about the decisions and this reminds me back to a conversation that i had with my family where um, my father and my uncles were sitting and a, a recurring theme in a lot of uh, our arguments as i when i was younger when you're young you you constantly want to just do things right you you're constantly looking for answers and decisions to take or what do you what do you do when you get there what do you do when you do that what, what do you want to do on that day and something that has stuck around me with me to this day is my father saying don't take a decision unless you have to if it is not the deadline if it is not if it is not the end of the world don't take the decision only take decisions when you have to so wait it out to get more information to get more data that's interesting because on one side we're taught like like you said take as much time as possible but then there have been ancient greek philosophers that have called upon inaction to be the worst decision you can make i was going through these studies um and just like letters from like um uh, greek philosophers that said that action needs to be a like the only way you can progress in society and but i completely agree with you there are some battles that don't need to be fought and i feel like that's better 
than winning a battle because winning a battle will always come with costs but never fighting it in the first place will ensure that you have no costs to deal with yeah true 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 and it's also very f- contextual for example we brought up the example of ice cream that first time well you can take as much time as you want and collect more data about vanilla and where the extracts are coming from and where the cones are being produced and you can get all the data that you want in the world but is it really that important not really but the conversations that i used to have with my father used to generally have a business context around them where we were talking about uh, his work or other pros uh, other potential businesses to invest in so these are bigger decisions with more consequences than buying ice cream right so perhaps maybe there are some decisions that need as much waiting as possible until you need to make them and then there are some decisions that you just need to go with because they don't really matter or just we, so where just enough is fine where you can be satisfied so when you're buying uh, when you're buying ice cream you want to be a satisfied if you get just enough with your dessert that's fine but when you're investing in a prospective business deal in a potential business meeting you want to maximize your opportunity you want to make the most out of it and that is why waiting that decision out might be the correct thing to do uh yeah and so we were talking about quality of your decisions right and so another thing that impairs us from making good decisions is just simply the quantity of decisions we make on a daily we mentioned before that we have a lot of decisions that we need to make right from getting up from bed or like doing your homework or like preparing for an exam or just making business decisions there was another study done by um berry uh that sort of explains this term decision fatigue where it's a phenomenon where uh the sheer quantity of decisions that you make impacts quality of this deci- of those decisions and so studies have shown that doctors are more likely to prescribe antibiotics at the end of their shifts than the beginning and judges are more likely to deny parole at the end of the day than at the beginning so it's interesting to see how emotional fatigue to some extent or just physical fatigue can impair your decision making and i don't know if you know this but people who are emotionally or physically or like clinically fatigued or burnout leads to making some very very life altering decisions i'll share like a personal story with you uh in our emt textbook em- for people who don't know it's emergency medicine technician um they have to warn us from physician or emergency medicine technician burnout in which case if you are responding to a critical uh care to a patient who needs critical care uh, at that time for example if you have a cardiac arrest or stroke that more professionals who are burnt out in the medical field actually make worse decisions that could severely neglect the patient's care or re- reduce the quality of care that you give to a patient uh which i found very interesting that also applies in some sense to preparing for an exam i remember um, sophomore year studying for multiple exams at once and i started out the weekend friday morning started studying and by the end of sunday night i was doing questions that i knew i knew how to do that i knew i could get right but because of the burnout um that people uh, that i had 
those those on sunday when i was studying the results were nearly not even nearly as good as they were on friday so the amount of decisions that you make 100% affects the quality of decisions that you make and i remember you mentioning heuristics uh, well to pe- to our uh, listeners who don't know what heuristics are heuristics are just in the way i like to think about it just shortcuts that your mind is inevitably or subconsciously taking for you to make decisions or um understand or like comprehend information and one of them that we use on a very very frequent basis that we don't realize is the availability heuristic right so the availability heuristic is um how easily we can remember events happening in the past and how we use information th- from those events to make decisions in the future so for example if you were trying to determine if you should you know drive over the speed limit and risk getting a ticket uh you might be thinking about the number of times people get pulled over by a police officer on a particular stretch of highway and so if you can not immediately think of any examples you might go ahead and you know take a chance since the availability heuristic has led you to judge that few people get pulled over for speeding on your own particular route but if you can remember more people getting pulled over you might just decide to play it safe and drive the suggested speed limit so the point here is we use these heuristics to sort of not waste extra energy into thinking about quote unquote what the truth is but rather just determine what will happen in the future based on your experience in the short term past and this relates to what i was talking about before when i was talking about anchoring um but then there's a, this other heuristic called the representativeness heuristic and it's a mental shortcut that involves comparing a current situation to a prototype of a particular event so for example uh whether you should go like whether you should speed to get to your class on time you might compare yourself and imagine that you are the person who's most likely to get a speeding ticket and if your prototype is that of a careless teen that drives a hot rod car or uh and that you are a young businesswoman who drives a sedan you might estimate that the probability of uh getting a speeding ticket is quite low so the representativeness heuristic in this sense makes you envision uh the character that you are and that you would be if you made that certain decision and then helps you gauge of what the outcome looks like if you compare yourself to someone else so in terms of statistics is representative heuristic heuristic when you can't project the sample on the population when p is not less than alpha yes essentially what you are trying to do is you are trying to gauge how accurate your outcome would be by essentially just being empathetic and placing yourself or like envisioning yourself as a different character okay i understand i see right and so you talked about how choices can paralyze you right how it can not let you progress in the sphere of life that you're trying to progress to so do you think more choices are making our life worse yes and let me explain why so we have this official dogma quote and quote and this official dogma is also um i learned it from the book the paradox of choices 
the dogma is that we want to maximize welfare for all the civilians and all the citizens that we have this means to maximize freedom so maximizing freedom will maximize welfare and maximizing freedom means maximizing choices therefore we can conclude that more choices mean more freedom and more freedom means more welfare this is the official dogma that is set up in the book now in the book uh, schwartz who is the american psychologist who wrote the book claims that most uh, he claims that this this liberation that we have said is causing paralysis in the society remember back about the ice cream example 18750 flavors to choose from a maximizer that is getting nowhere in this because even if you do make a decision the next day or so until you get the next ice cream you'll regret upon that decision there are just so many choices that they are making us feel worse about our decisions and this and this bad feeling because of more choices is caused by regret and anticipated regret caused by opportunity cost of making choices escalation of expectations because of so many choices because we have so many choices our expectations have risen that i want just the perfect cone that suits just me and this escalation of expectations has caused us to have bad feeling after our uh, after our decisions and then self blame we blame ourselves for our choices how many times has it happened that you went on a dinner and you always blame yourself as to hey that's on me i ordered the wrong thing i never like this why did i why did i think this one time i will like thai food when the last 10 times i had it i did not like it so the more choices we have we are paralyzing the society now don't get me wrong i do say that some choices are better than none but it does not follow that more choices are better than some choices but then alongside this if we go to a whole different perspective of economies that are not strong enough and powerful enough to have so many choices where you don't choose anything you get you get the basic necessities uh, on uh, on a set amount of time for example i know some villages in india they have timings per hour uh, for water they only get water from 8 am to 11 am so they have to wake up early get get their buckets going and fill their water and come back so this is a pecu- uh, this this problem this is a peculiar problem to the modern affluent western society so more choices are bad but only to this modern western society idea that we have uh that's interesting and i'll get to uh the point where we're discussing it's sort of very similar where you where we talk about you know um what type of decisions that we've had to make but um how do we combat how do we make it easier that so that we make a, a decision that we're satisfied with most of the time and there are three frameworks um that i came across that could be helpful and so the first one is called the single feature model so this approach involves hinging your decision solely on a single feature and so for example why do we not make significant amounts of 
um, why don't you know, why don't we take significant amounts of effort into making a decision about toothpaste? You walk into a store and you buy almost the same toothpaste every single time, right? And so the, a similar framework can be used where you make a decision solely based on one single feature in that product. So let's say you decide to make your decision based on price. That's the only thing you see in that product and you make a decision. Uh, and that's called the single feature model. Uh, now, obviously you can't use that model and it has its own strengths and limitations. Um, the strength is you make a quicker, more satisfier type of decision like you mentioned. But the limitations are that then you don't get to see the overall quality of the product. You don't get to evaluate. You don't get to compare it to other products um, in terms of quality. But then you have the additive feature model that comes in uh, and that method involves taking into account all the important features of the possible choices and then systematically evaluating each option, right? This is the one that maximizers tend to use more often. Um, and let's say you're interested in buying a new camera and so you create a list of important features that you want your camera to have uh, and then you sort of decide what is more important towards your needs and your specifications and then make a decision based on that. However, this also has its own strengths and limitations. This is more towards the maximizer instead of the satisfier. And you always feel like there's something missing out in the product that you're going to buy. That's but inevitable. So might I suggest that there is a middle ground, Parv, and that is you can use the you can use the additive feature model, but for each specification, you first assign weightages to each of those models, to each of those factors, according to your preference. And what that does is that it helps you assign the specific amount of uh, priority. It helps you weigh these factors out according to how you want it. And then if you assign or rank it according to let's say on a scale of one to five, if I want my, my camera to be able to take uh, landscapes really well or to be able to have a better contrast or rich colors, for example, how important these factors are for, e like for each of them and then rank it based on that scale, what that does is allows you to be satisfied because each of the weightages that you place on each of these factors is decided by you and so you ensure that your happiness is in the center of it but also maximize it by ranking each factor uh, according to the product itself and that way you are happy and the product is right for you amazing so the single feature model that you just talked about is i think more relevant for fast moving goods things like toothpaste things like toilet paper things like uh, things like a mobile phone cover or, or socks. These things that are that are short-lived, not long-lived assets. These things that you buy on a daily basis that are not a huge part of your life and budget. These things can be quickly um, quickly decided on purchasing by using the single factor model. And then the, th the second one was the additive feature model, which in my opinion, you should never use in any way, shape, form. <laughs> I don't like that model whatsoever. But the, but the last one that you talk about, about the 
how you're trying to take the weighted averages and the elimination by aspects model. Remember when you asked me about buying a new piece of technology and you also referred to the camera. So I think that is the one when I, when I buy a new machine or laptop, I would like to use that model. So faster moving consumer goods can fall into the first aspect of decision, uh, uh, first model. Second one, I don't recommend whatsoever because you can, you can go in depth about everything and ev anything of the product. And the third one can be, can be used for more longer lived assets that you invest in. I absolutely agree. But before we move on, I would like to reflect on the importance of reflection in decision making, right? Like you talked about weighted averages and you talked about how that model suits you better because you get to decide what is important to you. How important is it to ask that question? How and why is that particular thing important to me? I think reflection is one of the best ways that you can make a sound decision solely because you spend time talking to yourself and conversing and introspecting about factors in a product or otherwise in life-changing decisions that are important to you. I do agree. The idea of writing an autobiography, the idea of journaling, writing reflection papers for our classes that we have, everything is laid out for you to look back. This remind me reminds me of what Steve Jobs said. You can't look up in the future and project everything, just how it is going to be. But when you get to the future, you can look back, connect the dots, and see where it led you and how it led you. So looking back, taking a step back, taking a step back and looking back at the things that happened, why they happened, thinking of what other things should you have done and could you have done to make it better is a great way for you to make better decisions in the future. But at the same time, what I don't want you to do is looking back at the same decision again and again and thinking of, man, had I not done that. Because regret is, 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 a, is a big problem and then regret can furthermore elevate and become something bigger and cause mental problems. The regret of not passing a final exam of the regret of not making the cut in that job interview can haunt you for life and it can change and shape your entire personality and put you in mental stress. So reflection is important, but that reflection should be a very controlled and productive and constructive ra rather than it being destructive. Yeah, I sort of agree. Like regret can quickly fester into an exercise of self-blame like you mentioned before um another thing that i would like to bring up is let's talk a little bit about costs right we know that each decision has a cost but how do we assess how important or how significant the cost is at that period of time because i've often made so-called good decisions and bad decisions, right? We all make them on a very periodic basis. But we think that the cost of that decision that we make often holds more 
weightage and more value before we make that decision. And then quickly on, we see that once that incident has happened, that the cost, though may exist, at least the perceived value of that cost becomes a lot lesser. And I'll give you an example. Um, I recently was buying technology. Um, I bought the Dell XPS 13 instead of the MacBook M1. Um, and performance-wise, uh, what I've read up on the internet claimed to have great sort of... Uh, the M1 has sort of you know, risen to fame because of its processing power, et cetera, et cetera. And now I almost have an Apple ecosystem. So I thought that the cost of this was going to be great, but it actually isn't. Um, and so many decisions in your life, you if you're choosing between careers, if you're choosing to move places, if you're choosing to get married, not get married, whatever, in your relationships, we think that the cost of making these decisions is actually higher in terms of uh, the damage or the outcome it has than it actually does. Isn't that what making decisions and good decisions all about? Evaluating perceived cost, evaluating perceived benefit, hoping that the perceived cost and the perceived benefit is as close to the actual cost and the actual benefit. And if that perceived benefit outweighs the perceived costs, you make the decision. If it does not, you don't. So as long so long as we perceive them correctly, as long as they match the actual cost and actual benefits, we're in the right. And if it doesn't, we're not in the right. Yeah, but uh, the point is that has led to a lot of anxiety, right? You making the right decision has led to so much anxiety that we fail to properly and precisely evaluate the the real cost versus the perceived cost of that making that decision. Uh, and so, Parv, to sort of uh, bring things all together, would you like to share a story of um, a very personal decision that you've had to make and what you've learned from that? Why don't you start? Okay, so uh, I'll tell you a little story about how I became a biochemistry major at UIUC. I was so focused on doing everything right for college applications that I forgot or I sort of neglected doing the most important thing. And that is to ask myself and to introspect on what I should be majoring in. And so I kid you not, three or four months before applications were due, I was busy with SATs and uh, I was busy with writing my co a common app uh, person statement and I was busy with uh, the IB diploma. And so... I literally, what I did was I knew I had to apply to a major at most of these schools. Um, and I should have applied undecided. But uh, at that time, you know, I, I just felt the pressure of making a decision there because I knew it was going to be an important one. Um, so though knowing it was an important decision in my life, I spent a collective of, I want to say, two weeks deciding what I wanted to major in. And so that's... And it was so hard for me and, you know, it was hard not only because of the number of majors that was offered in uh, American universities, but also because I had never taken out time to actually understand what is important to me. For me, it was just, oh, I like biology and I like chemistry. And so um, I'm just going to choose to major in biochemistry because it was both in one. And so I quickly came 
to a university, found out that this is not what I want to do. Um, I am not interested in studying that much math and physics and biochemistry. This is not what I signed up for. And so I applied for a curriculum major change to brain and cognitive science um, after having taken some psychology courses, some philosophy courses as well. Uh, I decided to major in brain and cognitive science. And I'll tell you why this decision is so personal to me. You see, what happens is most of us, we are expected to do well in most facets in our life. We're expected to be disciplined. We're expected to be uh, active. We're expected to take care of our mental and physical health. We're dis- you know, there, there are decisions being made on a constant and we always decide to be better. And I actually think to some extent this does us a disservice. Um, this allows us to fall in love with everything that we do. At least that was what it was in my case. I knew from start I did not like uh, math and physics as much. But even despite that, there were so many other things I could choose from. And to some extent, you mentioned that you know all, having all these choices sort of are a disservice. And in my case, it really was. But... The reason why I want to bring this up is because there are so many young listeners out there who are facing it so hard to make certain decisions in their life about their career. And I would just like to remind them that what we don't understand about the world is that it is dynamic. Things keep changing. And so your decision at some point in life, first of all, does not have to be the final decision that you take. And second of all, does not have to lead to a good or a bad outcome depending on what you classify as good or bad then because all of these skills can be built up for you to gain experience and make just as good if not better decisions in a later day wow um i had heard bits and pieces of that story every here and there but this is the first time i'm hearing the entirety or a summary of the entirety in a film. Pretty good. I think my decision waiting making style is very short. Let's do it. My whenever I I make a decision that is significant enough to ask the question that was decision good. I always feel like what's the worst that can happen. And because of the way the society is set up these days, every decision can be connected to monetary value. Every good decision will, in some sense, uh, provide you with benefits, monetary benefits, and or at least can be translated into monetary benefits. And every bad decision can be translated into monetary losses. Well, that might not be true, actually, because there are decisions that we make about relationships, which are emotional. But a lot of the decisions about career, about uh, about buying, about everything else can somehow be translated into monetary decisions. And those are mostly the kind of decisions that I've taken so far. And b- being from a very, very privileged background financially, uh, monetary losses were very mostly minuscule to me because I was brought up that way. And hence decision making for me was what's the worst that can happen a monetary loss and my family was always like don't be afraid of 
making bold decisions. The worst that can happen is a monetary loss, but that's fine. Because, and this is coming from a point of very, very high privilege. I hope you and the listeners understand that. Therefore, a lot of my decisions were shortlist related. Came to college, chose to study business. What in business I did not know. There were several choices. Uh, I remember taking this class 2021 corporate finance. I kind of sort of liked it. Finance sounded like a cool term to me. Um, and I knew that finance people make decent money, which I like. So that was my choice of making a decision of my major. But then another decision that recently I had to make was whether or not to continue with the Bhangra team. So for people who do not know, Bhangra is a Indian folk dance. And there is a competitive team on campus, Elaine Bhangra, that I used to be a member of. I used to dance for them. Um, fun fact, they recently, by recently, I mean yesterday, performed in Maryland in a competition called Maryland March. So I would have been there had I been part of this team. But last semester, I felt like it was taking a lot from me in terms of time, in terms of energy my legs weren't feeling as good as they are right now uh, i always wanted to get bigger so i um, so i had to go to the gym and lift weights however i couldn't because i had to be at practice at the same time and that's a lot of physical strain on my body to continue with wo- my workouts and the bhangra team so therefore after conversations with friends i asked for advice of what they would do so consulting a friend is always helpful, but that helped me decide that I wanted to leave the team and not continue with them. So I left the team with some happy memories, made a lot of new friends who are friends yet right now as well. But now, uh, as we talked about reflecting on the decision, I reflected that I have now time to do extra studies out of class. I have time to read books like the paradox of choice that I read in order to prepare for this podcast. I have time to run this podcast with my dear friend Manan. I have time to study for the CFA exams that I'm hoping to take later this year. So reflecting on the decision, I think I made a good decision. And that is the story of how, and that is my decision-making philosophy and a short story of me making a decision of leaving the Bhangra team. I think we can find a lot of sort of similarities between our stories Uh, and just to sort of, I don't know, bring this all together, I would like to say that in my opinion, the decisions that you make eventually have to be ones that you are satisfied with despite the outcome. I think the only way to make quote-unquote the right decision is the one that you think you are going to be satisfied with at the end and so what I mean by that is you should never judge a decision-making process or a decision based on solely the outcome but more so taking the holistic perspective of what were the factors what was the data you had at that time and what was the decision that you hoped to be satisfied with because At the end of the day, we are all looking for satisfaction. Your decisions that you make for greater or better outcome is also the ones that you make for better satisfaction. So satisfaction is a choice 
satisfaction is something that you can choose um regularly uh, and that should be a part of your living in my in my opinion um despite the outcome because outcome is based on a lot more things that we don't know or can't control but being satisfied is the only thing that we to some extent can with that being said thank you so much for listening you've been a great audience and keep making decisions don't let yourself be paralyzed don't yet let yourself be intimidated by so many choices so long as you make the decisions and are happy with them you're in the right thank you so much for listening